We don't know what it's going to look like. <laughs> We're like, all right. We try to plan it and everything, but thank you guys. That was really cool to see everyone just come forward and pray for each other. Praise God. Um, and uh, let's see, did we collect the connect cards and the giving and everything? All right. If you didn't, uh, if it, the basket didn't get to you, just uh, make sure there's baskets in the back. As you go out, you can drop it in the basket at the end if, you, if it didn't get to you. But, uh, well, happy tax day. Just joking. Tuesday, huh? Do we, what do you do? Do you, like, maybe we should have a, like a Easter bunny or something like that for, no, like a tax groundhog or a badger. Badger, that would be good. Like a badger for, I mean, I don't know. You got Santa Claus and you got Easter bunnies and we should have badgers or something like that. Well, anyways, you know, ha- have fun Tuesday, uh, tax, tax day. It, don't forget, right? Give to God what's God's. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's, right? Yeah? Yeah? Now, you don't give to Caesar more than Caesar wants, right? So you take those deductions. Amen? Take those deductions, as many as they can give you, or you, you know, right? Then you only give to Caesar what Caesar wants, right? But still give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Amen? We want to be integrous, faithful people. You're like, now is that? The Bible actually tells us to pay taxes. Did you know that, right? Romans 15 and what I just quoted. All right, so make sure we do that. But uh, anyways, that's not the point of today. That was for free. So uh, (laughs) today, uh, oh, you know, I thought, man, I should tell you real quick here. I I almost forgot. A couple things to celebrate, Uh, like... uh, you really, I think in the last couple of weeks, we've had a number, a, a couple of people come to Jesus. I know one person a few weeks ago, um, and yeah, amen, amen. <clears throat> and then uh, uh, one of our kids, uh, not not one of the kids who was here, but one of our kids who goes to our church, he accepted Jesus. It's a it's a precious story. Deb tells it. Uh, De- Deb basically led him to the Lord, and all the kids were kind of a part of it. You know, and Deb's like. Has everyone accepted, you know, Jesus into their hearts? And this one boy goes, no. You know, and my son is like, so matter of fact, he's like, yeah. You know, if I ever tell my son about Jesus, like, Jesus is in my heart, dad. He's very confident. This is good. But uh, <laughs> um, so he goes, they, they, you know, some of the kids say yes. And this one boy says, no. And Deb goes, well, do, do you want to? And he's like, okay. It was just really matter of fact. And, he, and then all the kids prayed. Right, and, and the other kids were like encouraging this other kid, right? These other kids were like, oh yeah, yeah, he's in my heart. You know, he should be, should be in your heart. And he accepted the Lord. I mean, praise God, isn't that awesome? So we're here, raise up the next generation, lead them to the Lord, disciple them. And whether you're uh, five years old or 500 years old, we need Jesus, amen? So that's what we're gonna be preaching about today. You know, what else is there to preach about? But Jesus, amen? So we're gonna preach about Jesus and lots of good things going on. Uh, praise God for Easter uh, well, one, praise God for Easter because he's alive. But uh, last week, I don't know, we had some like almost 190 people here and just awesome and the kids had a great time and just praise God, you know, lots of good stuff. Keep it up, keep building those relationships with people and just caring for them and loving them and showing them Jesus. And, you know, it's not about church on a Sunday morning, although we love to be here, but it's about being church, right? Gathering, discipling people, everything we do, being Jesus to people, right? So, Turn with me to, uh, yeah, here we go. Whew, come on, Dave. Get to it. Just joking. Hebrews chapter 10. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10. We looked at this last week because we started a series called Sinless. And uh, we are talking about how, the fact that what Jesus has done for us and the sufficiency of his blood. And so I want to go back to Hebrews 10, kind of remind you of where, where we started last week and kind of go from there. 
It's a powerful thing that the Lord is teaching us. Amen? He's teaching us about His desire and His love for us and His perfect holy love. And he's teaching us about the finished work of the cross and the blood that He shed. And um, I still love what Scott told me, I don't know, like a couple months ago. He was like, man, when we're done with this, we should be the most confident church. And I'm thinking, now that's a good prophetic statement, you know? Uh, yeah, confidence. Confidence in God's love. Confidence in who we are in Christ. Confidence in our relationships with one another. Because what we're going to talk about today what we've been talking about, this will revolutionize how we relate to God, revolutionize and become the basis for how we relate to one another. To be the church that God has called us to be. All right? So, uh, <clears throat> here it is in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> we looked at this last week. That basically, um, uh, in verse 5, the author quotes from... Uh, Quotes from the, the Old Testament, Psalm 40. And he says this, he says, Therefore, when he, Jesus, came into the world, he, Jesus, said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, he's talking to the Father, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he might establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then he goes on and he explains... What has happened? Verse 14. For by one offering, right, referring to the sacrifice of Jesus, by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And then he goes on, the Holy Spirit also witnessing to us after he had said before, verse 16, this is the covenant that I'll make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is a remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. And then what is the implication of this? Look at verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let me just remind you what we talked about last week and just, again, just kind of beginning this. Is that what it's saying here is that the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament, the Old Testament law could never make us right with God, could never fully cleanse us of all of our sin, could never make us perfect. And that, and that what those things were, those sacrifices and those laws, the laws were to basically show us what God's will is and, and where we've messed up. It was basically a diagnosis of the problem, not the cure. Very important to understand that, that the law and the sacrifices were actually there in the Old Testament to, to, to remind us of, our, of the problem. And our conscience... Our own conscience is there to remind us there is a right and there is a wrong and there's something broken on the inside of us. Just like physical pain tells me that I'm sick, so spiritual or moral pain, my conscience, tells me that there's something spiritually wrong with me and I need Christ. I need a Savior. 
And of course, you can have a problem with your physical uh, nerves, a system, can't you, right? You could ignore the pain. You could not go to the doctor. You could have something wrong with you and, uh, physically and not actually know it. But God designed us so that we would know there's something wrong and then we could get it fixed. And it's the same thing. Our conscience tells us there's something wrong. And these Old Testament laws, and these Old Testament sacrifices, tell us there was something wrong and that I needed a Savior to bring us to Jesus. And what it says here in this, but, that it, but it says here in verse 5 that God did not desire these animal sacrifices and that he took no pleasure in them. It didn't, it didn't even make God excited. Why? Because his will wasn't done. His will wasn't done. He doesn't get excited by outward rituals and by human beings trying to make themselves right with God by their own human effort. But what does it say here? What does it mean that it says this in verse 7? that I have come to do your will. And what we said last week, very clearly, I hope, is that God's will has been done in Christ. That it says there in verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified. The word sanctified being made holy, cleansed, washed. And then later in verse 14, he says that you've been made perfect by that same will, by that same sacrifice. And see, so many people... So many people, they feel that God, uh, um, God doesn't enjoy them. God doesn't delight in them. God doesn't feel pleasure over them until they're perfect, until they're done. You know, maybe one day when I'm done with this issue. One day when I, when I finally get over this sin in my life. One day when I, when I learn to hear God. One day when I, when I finally am, you know, I, oh, I finally am doing that ministry that God's called me to. Finally, when I find out my calling. Maybe one day when I go to heaven, maybe then God will be, enjoy me. You know, oh, I know he loves me, but does he really like me? Does he like hanging out with me? Does he enjoy me? Does he find pleasure in me? Is he pleased with me? So many Christians, oh, I just want God to be pleased with me. I just want God to be pleased with me. Oh, I want to do this because then God will be pleased with me. And what it is is people always, always, always... Uh, 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 trying to, to um, uh, uh, earn God's favor. Or even just in life, you know, one day I'll be satisfied. If only I get that house, if only I get that job, if only I can do this, if only I can be married, I'll be satisfied then, right? And we're like that song, you know, Rolling Stones, right? I can't get no satisfaction. Or what's a YouTube song? You know, I keep, you know, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm still searching, I'm still looking. And that's really what it is. It's this endless pursuit to be satisfied on the inside, right? Deep. It's an endless pursuit for confidence, an endless pursuit for meaning, an endless pursuit for for joy, an endless pursuit of something to satisfy us on the inside and to feel like God finally accepts me. Many of us had uh, 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 upbringings where if you fell short, maybe your parent withdrew from you. Maybe you disobeyed or maybe you didn't get an A or whatever it would be, your parent withdrew affection from you. Or withdrew things from you. And so you kind of were raised with the mentality that I need to be perfect. I always need to do more. I need to earn. I need to do this, right? And there's people who either in a religious way or in, in maybe with their parents or whatever, they come to this. Uh, uh. And what it's saying here is that, this is what we said last week, that the will of God has already been done. It's done. That God's will was not animal sacrifices and all this kind of stuff, but that Jesus set aside the law and set aside these old things by doing the will of God. What was the will of God? You can see it right here. Verse 7, I came to do your will. It says here in verse 10, Behold, 
of verse 9. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he might establish the second. What's the first thing? The sacrifices and the human effort. What's the second thing? In verse 10, the second, or the, in verse 9, the second thing that is established is the will of God. What's the will of God? That Jesus would be the sacrifice. That Jesus would shed his blood. And he says it's by that will, the will of God, that God sacrificed his son Jesus. And that by the blood of Jesus, it says, now you have been sanctified. And so what we saw last week was that if you're in Christ, if you put your trust in Jesus, the blood of Jesus has sanctified you and has made you perfect. The will of God is already done. You're already, if you're in Christ, you're already perfect. Oh, no, no, that can't be. No, don't, don't talk to me about how you feel. Don't talk to me about your, how you perceive yourself. Don't talk to me about, what about, because I fall down, I struggle, I, I have this sin in my life. Don't, no, 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 no. What does the word say, right? Amen? Anyone else? Want to live by the word? I want to live by what God says. What does the word say? It says in verse 14, for by one offering, he has perfected, perfected. I looked it up in the Greek. It means perfected, right? Perfected forever. Those who are being sanctified. It's not that difficult. It's not that difficult to realize that because of the blood of Jesus, you are righteous in Christ. You are perfect in Christ. You are sanctified. You are holy. You are blameless. You are faultless. You are sinless. That is who you are in Christ. That is what the word of God says, that that's what the blood of Jesus has done. And what did we say last week? That in here, in, in, in this verse, uh, in verse 18, or in verse 17 and 18, that he doesn't remember our sin anymore. That where God is not conscious of your sin, you don't have to be conscious of your sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Guilt, feelings, shame, condemnation. It's not from God. Never from God if you're in Christ Jesus. Consciousness of your sin is not from God. Right? There is no longer a wall or a veil keeping you from God. The veil has been torn. The wall has been broken down. And now you have access to God, intimacy with God. You have the right to come and belong to him. But what keeps us, what, what that veil often is that keeps us from God, that keeps us from really trusting God, that keeps us from opening up our hearts to God, that keeps us from being bold, like it's said here, bold to come to God. What keeps us is our own sin consciousness. That God has washed you clean, forgiven you. Sin is a poison, like we said, remember, last week, sin is a poison. And yet when you receive the cure, the blood of Jesus, you're cured. Done. It's done. The will of God is done. There's nothing to add to it. And I want you to see, that. No, notice what it says here in verse 5, 6, and 7. Notice he says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Desire. Then he goes and he says in verse 16, in, in burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, you had no pleasure. Pleasure. And then he says, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will. Well, I, want, I, want, I want you to understand something. That when God's will is done, He's pleased, right? He didn't have pleasure in these sacrifices. But now that his will has been done, God is filled with pleasure. I want to show you this morning, I just want to show you a couple of verses. And I want to help you to understand that because the blood of Jesus has washed you and cleansed you, and God does not remember your sin, you are sinless, faultless, blameless, holy, righteous in his sight because of Jesus. 
that God is already pleased, already satisfied. He's at rest. He is already happy. He's already delighting in you. See, so many of us, our emotions are attached to our performance. Our emotions are attached to what other people say about us. And so we are like a roller coaster, aren't we? If we do good, we feel good, right? Yeah, I feel like God loves me today. Why? Because I did something good today. And then tomorrow you do something dumb, and God doesn't love me, or whatever. Or with other things too, right? You're going through a hard time, you go down. Something happens good, you go up, up, and down. Is anyone want to get off that roller coaster? I want to get off that roller coaster. In fact, I already got off that roller coaster a long time ago. I'm on Jesus' roller coaster a lot more steady. So, so many of us, so many of us, up and down and up and down and up and down. Our emotional state, our, our, our identity, the way we view ourselves, the way we relate to other people is up and down, up and down. And some people, we react with anger. You know, you don't even realize it. You're like, I'm just grumpy and angry. You don't even realize why you're grumpy and angry. It's because you're on this roller coaster right up and down. Up and down. Depression, up and down, up and down, right? Dude, get off the roller coaster. I want to show you that when your emotions and your heart, your identity is attached to what God says about you in the word because of the blood, you're not going up and down. It's steady. Why? Because he's already pleased. He's already pleased. And it starts right here. That it says that because his will has been done, now he has his pleasure. Right? Turn with me to Isaiah 53. We'll throw it up there on the screen. Isaiah 53, all the way back in the Old Testament there. It's a prophecy, one of the most clear prophecies in Isaiah 53 of the finished work of the cross. This is like 400 years before Jesus died and rose, and yet it's one of the most clear prophecies of his crucifixion and his resurrection. I love showing this to people who don't know Jesus yet. You know, skeptics and stuff. I love showing this because it's so clear. Description of Jesus' sacrifice of, of literally describing crucifixion and describing resurrection. It's hundreds of years before Jesus even came on the scene. It's a great prophecy. And I want to show you from this text of Scripture how God's will has been done and how God is already pleased. Because when God's will is done, He gets what He wants and it brings Him pleasure. And because He's satisfied and because He's pleased, you can be satisfied too. You can find a new way of viewing yourself and a new way of relating based upon the blood of Jesus and not based upon other things. And so, uh, here we go in Isaiah 53. Look at what it says. Um, Hold on a second. There we go. Um, Look what it says here. describes uh, Jesus' sacrifice. We'll just read a couple of verses to give us the context here. Verse 5 and 6, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Right? Isaiah 53, clearly describing the substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus, that he took my sin. He took my brokenness. He took my shame. He took my rejection. He took all that stuff on himself. 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way. He became sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's this great exchange, this substitution. He takes my sin. He gives me his righteousness. He takes my impurity. He gives me his purity. And so here, this description of the sin of humanity being laid upon Jesus, laid upon this, this 
this uh, suffering servant, and 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 that this this uh, this person being being uh, beaten and crushed and pierced for our salvation. He goes on. There's so much description in here that gets fulfilled at the cross, and we're not going to go into today. I just want you to focus in on verse 10 and following. Yet it was yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Let me break this down. First of all, iniquity, that's just a big word for sin. And notice that it says this, yet it pleased the Lord to crush him. It's referring to the Father. It was the will of the Father to crush Jesus. God willed that Jesus would bear the sin of humanity. Why? Why is this? We've been talking about this for a couple of months. Remember Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, it said that everything was created by Jesus and for Jesus. I think this is one of the most important verses ever. Do you realize that your very existence is defined by Jesus? You were made for Jesus. Now, of course, he loves you and he's not selfish and he made you for a relationship with himself. Creation, your very existence is because God wanted you to be. Wanted you to belong to himself. And we, we've been talking about this for a couple months. That God is this, this God who desires us. And desires relationship with us. And he's pursuing us with this jealous love. And, and, but it says that he, he created. It says all things were created by him. And for him. By him and for him. That Jesus is actually the reason for creation. Everything was actually created for Jesus. And we've looked at this from many different angles. The fact that the nations belong to Jesus as his inheritance, right? In Psalm 2. We've looked at this. Remember Hebrews chapter 12? Hebrews chapter 12 says that it was for the joy set before Jesus that he endured the cross. So when Jesus was facing the cross, the pain and the suffering of bearing our sin and being nailed to a cross... and and being scourged, and being beaten, and rejected, and betrayed, when Jesus was facing all of that, looking at the cross, what did he see on the other side of the cross? It says, for the joy set before him. What did he see? He saw us. Everything was made for Jesus. And the whole reason he became a human being was so that he could bear our sin upon himself and make us right with God. And the Bible says this is God's will. This is God's will. Why? Because God needed, because he's a righteous God, he needed to be both righteous and just, but he wanted to show mercy, and he needed also to be the justifier, the one who makes people right with himself. And so somebody had to pay the price. Somebody had to pay the debt that we owed. Someone had to die. And isn't it crazy that the one who dies is the one for whom everything was made in the beginning anyways? This is God's eternal plan. He created us knowing that he would die for us to make us right with himself. Now that's love. That's love. 
to create us for relationship, knowing that we're going to reject him, knowing the price that he's going to have to pay to make us right with himself, and he did it anyways? That's amazing, isn't it? But this is the will of God. This is the will of God. This is the joy that was set before Jesus. He wanted us, right? We are the lost coin, yes? We are the lost sheep. We're the lost children. Jesus would tell stories about lost things all the time, right? Pearl of great price, a treasure hidden in a field, a lost sheep, a lost coin, lost sons. What was he trying to get at? That we are his treasure. We are his inheritance. We are the ones that he loves and wants. He creates us for himself. Then he dies for us for himself, right? This is the will of God, that we would be sanctified. This is the will of God. It says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. It was God's will that Jesus would be the sacrifice for sin so that human beings wouldn't have to die. It was the will of God to crush his son, to do away with sin so that mercy could triumph over judgment. It was the will of God that we would be sanctified and perfect in his sight, holy and blameless in his sight. Isn't that amazing? Like nobody was making God do this, right? This is the sovereign God. He can do whatever he wants. And he wanted to be in relation with us. And he wanted to die. Nobody's like making God do it. Nobody's bargaining with God. Nobody's trying to convince him that he should do it. No. He saw sin poisoning and diseasing the very people he loves. And he says, I'm the only cure. I'm the only cure. And so he does it himself. But I want you to see very clearly. It's very, very important that we understand that the very one for whom everything was made is the very one who becomes a man and dies on a cross, right? Because he was dying for the thing that was set before him as his joy, his treasure, us. And notice that it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. So it was the Father's will. It was the Father's will. I've I've seen this all the time with, you know, like, sometimes people share the gospel as if God is this mean, angry judge and Jesus is over here as like the defendant. No, judge, don't kill them. I'll take their place. No, it was the Father's plan. The Father wanted us. The Father wanted to show mercy. This is a, this is a Father, Son, Holy Spirit thing. Right? This is God orchestrating this. So the Father wills that Jesus be the sacrifice so that we can be made right with God. And Jesus does it willingly for the joy set before him, right? And so it says here, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Notice that it says, when you make his soul an offering for sin... He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. Isn't that interesting? How does somebody become an offering for sin, a sacrifice, and see their seed? They have to die and rise, right? Uh, This is one of the most amazing prophecies right here. That right here it says that Jesus would be made an offering for sin, sacrificed, murdered, brutally, right? And yet he will see his seed. He shall prolong his days. That's Jesus' resurrection. He is forever God in a human body, living forever, and he will rule over this earth. That's talking talk about prolonging your days, right? He will live forever as God-man, as, as, as God who became a man, sitting at the, at the Father's right hand, and rule over the earth. But listen to what it says. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Why is it that the pleasure of the Lord prospers in the hand of Jesus? Because the will of God has been done, right? It was the Father's will that Jesus would be the sacrifice. He paid the price 
The sacrifice has been done once for all. There's no need for another sacrifice. And now the pleasure of God prospers in the hand of Jesus, right? God is pleased. God is filled with pleasure. God feels this kind of pleasure because his will has been done, because Jesus did it, right? That's what it says. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper his hand. What does that mean? People are justified. People are made right with God. People are forgiven. People are cleansed. People are made perfect. People are sanctified. Human beings who used to be demonized, rebellious, and far from God are now brought near, delivered from demons, healed, reconciled to God, adopted as sons of God, right? God's will is prospering. God's pleasure is prospering in the hand of Jesus. But look, it gets even more specific. Verse 11. He shall see the labor of his soul. What does that mean? How is it that Jesus is going to see the labor of his soul? Hebrews 12 says, he saw the cross and saw joy on the other side. This verse, verse 11, is talking about looking backwards after the resurrection. He sees the cross and he's what? Satisfied. Why is that? He saw the cross And he saw us on the other side. I need to shed my blood. And I will get them back. And this was the prospect. This was the treasure that he was looking for. Willing to die for. Now, on the other side of the cross, verse 11 says, he will see the labor of his soul. He'll look back and go, scourged, beaten, rejected. God died for three days, right? Laid in a tomb, dead. And he'll look back after having risen from the dead, conquered death, conquered sin, and he'll look back and go, yeah, I did it. Why is he going to be satisfied? Because he got the joy of his heart. He got the thing that he wanted. Okay, here's here's what I'm trying to say. God created you because he wanted you. God died. Jesus, right, the son of God, died because he wanted you. Okay. He died, right? The sacrifice has been made. The price has been paid. And if you're in Christ, you're now perfect. You're sanctified. He has what he wanted. Do do, do you understand? God got... What he wanted. He's satisfied. You following with me? He got the will, his will. He got the pleasure of his heart. He is now satisfied. He is now pleased. Why? Because he has you. Yeah. You are the treasure of his heart. Listen, oh, but I still struggle. Oh, I still mess up. But I still have brokenness in my life. Wonderful. So do I. It doesn't matter how much you struggle. It doesn't matter if you're still like, yeah, but I still disobey God. You know, God told me to do something and I didn't do it. Yeah, that's probably a problem that God wants to heal you of and free you of. Wonderful. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Say, well, wait a minute, you know, if I'm, st- if I'm perfect, how come I still have these issues? Great, yeah, we'll talk about that. But listen to me. Get over yourself. Forget it. Stop walking in a sin consciousness. Stop walking in a lack mentality. Stop looking at yourself. This isn't really about you anyways. I mean, it is. It's all about you. He loves you, right? 
But think about, I'm talking about from God's perspective here, aren't I? Oh, but I still struggle. I'm not talking about your perspective. I'm talking about God. Oh, but I don't really feel like God. I don't care if you feel like it or not. I'm talking about God, right? I'm talking about what the Word says that God feels. I'm talking about what the Word says that God says. I'm not talking about whether you feel it or not. I'm not talking about whether it's a change your life yet. Because it will if you believe it. I'm not talking about that. See, we've got to set aside those things. Look at what the Word says. The Word says, Jesus looks at the cross and says, Yes, I did it. I got what I wanted. Do you understand? And so it doesn't matter how much you struggle. Right now, you're just totally messed up. You're the worst sinner in the world. But if you've put your faith in Jesus, he's satisfied because he got you. That's it. It's that simple. It is that simple that you can still be struggling and you can still be having a brokenness in your life. And yet God enjoys you now. Whether you have accepted Jesus two minutes ago or what, like 50 years ago, he enjoys you now. Right? The thing that was dead is now alive. The thing that was lost has now been found. Right? So we usually think of it from my, our perspective that, oh, you know, I'm broken, I'm hurting, I need Jesus, and we accept Jesus. Wonderful, that's good. Praise God, hallelujah. Do you realize, though, that you were lost to him? You were dead to him, right? You were broken, you were separated from God, far from God, and now you're back. You've come to him. Oh, but I'm still struggling, but you're his. He's got what he wanted, Do you realize that? That the creator of the universe who doesn't need anything, he owns it all, and yet he was desiring you? And now that you have put your trust in him, his shed blood has made you right with himself, and he's got what he wanted? My goodness, he is satisfied. He is so excited. Every day, every day filled with pleasure because his will has been done in Christ. There's nothing more to add. Amen? I'm not sure if you're quiet because you're taking it in or because you don't believe me. Listen, okay. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little graphic here. Can you imagine, okay, can you imagine if your child died and then one day, I mean, you're holding your child in your arms and can you imagine if that child came alive? Can you imagine that? And for those of us who have lost children, praise God that one day we'll see him in heaven. But can you imagine the weight of grief? Some of us can. Some of us have lived there. Can you imagine that child coming alive? Can you imagine that? See, I can't think of anything worse, to be honest with you, than one of my three children dying. That's why I don't think about it. But I just wanted to take a second to go, think about it. And God says what was lost has now been found. What was dead is now made alive. You are mine, says the Lord. You are mine, right? Do you realize, can you, can you imagine the sense of like, oh my goodness, my child's alive. The sense of a miracle, the sense of wonder, the sense of gratitude, the sense of thankfulness, the sense of love that you would feel towards this child that is now back being yours. And can you imagine, God doesn't lose that feeling. He's always that way, eternally so, Amen. 
God's emotions don't go up and down, up and down. See, so when you struggle, he still feels pleasure over you. Did, did you hear me? You, you, oh, I, I, you're struggling with doubt. Still likes you. Oh, I'm struggling with some sort of love. Oh, still likes you. Yeah, but I, I kind of like purposely did something that wasn't full of integrity. Still likes you. He still delights in you. Why? Because of your righteousness? No, because of Christ's righteousness. Because of, because of the blood of Jesus, he has made you right with himself, and that's what he's delighting in. That's what he's delighting in. You being righteous in Christ, no sin, no blame in his sight, and you belong to him. Oh, he knows you still need some work. He knows. But he delights in you. See, turn, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. I mean, think about it. Think about a, a man or a woman who's longed to be married for years and years and years. Can you imagine how they would feel when they're finally married? The desire fulfilled, right? Can you imagine wanting something? Like maybe Luke wanting his gun or something like that? Long, no, <laughs> longing for it, longing for it, and then finally getting it, right? But we're not a possession, are we? No, we're a person. Can you imagine longing to have a son or a daughter for years and years and years and finally, a husband and wife, you have a child? Can, can you imagine, right, the longing and the desire and then all of a sudden it happens? How you would feel fulfilled and satisfied? That's exactly, well, maybe 10 million times more, but that's how God feels. That he has what he wanted and he has what he died for. See, when you continue to live in a feeling of brokenness and shame and condemnation, you're not living according to the truth of what God has done for you. Because the word says there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. The word says you belong to him. The word says that you're perfect and sanctified and holy and blameless. So when you live according to that sin consciousness, you continue to feel, oh, I'm dirty, I'm weak, I'm separated from God. When you live in that place of fear and anxiety, oh, God's going to be mad at me. So many people, oh, maybe I'm sick because God, oh, maybe I did something, God's mad at me. No, no, it's not possible. Because he's already pleased with you. The reason why we do that, the reason we go, oh, maybe I'm struggling with, maybe I haven't gotten a job because, oh, God's mad at me. That's sin consciousness. Because you're going, maybe God's mad at me because I did Right? And that's so self-righteous. It's so self-righteous. Me, me, me. You know, depression. It's so self-righteous, you know? Me, me, you know, this, this, you know. I know it's, it's a tough thing to struggle with, but I'm just saying it's rooted in, you're looking at you. You're looking at you. You're looking at you and you falling short and you failing and you messing up and you and you and you and you. It's really all about you. Just examine. Examine your thoughts. Examine. They're all about you. I know it's hard to go through that kind of thing, but I'm not dissing you for feeling that way. I'm talking about the cure. The cure is stop looking at yourself. Stop focusing on you. Stop living in sin consciousness or whatever, lack, you know, living in lack, living in brokenness, and start focusing on the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for you, that you are perfect in Christ. 
And because you're perfect in Christ by the blood, God is pleased with you. And because he's pleased and because he's satisfied, you can be too. You don't have to ride that roller coaster anymore. You can be rooted in God's love and God's pleasure for you. Do you see how this could revolutionize the way we relate to God? How many of us raised with a sense of feeling of disappointment, feelings of fear that someone's going to reject us, and so we try to strive and earn their favor? How many of us think God is like that? How many of us hide from God when we sin because, you know, he might be mad at me? What if God's pleasure for you never changed? Well, you'd run to him instead of running away from him, right? Boldness to come into his presence because I'm blameless. He likes me. He's delighting in me. There's no, like, probationary period. Do you see what I mean? Instead of hiding from God, instead of feeling that he, I'm gonna, he's going to be disappointed with me, what about boldness to ask him? What about believing God for promises? What about believing God for our favor? Do you realize that the reason why we don't stand on the promise of God, believing that God is going to give to me what he promised that he was going to do? You know, maybe you need a job or healing or whatever. You go, oh, maybe, maybe God won't do it. Maybe God won't do it. You know why we say the maybe? We throw that in there? Sin consciousness. This is, I'm telling you, this would revolutionize the way you relate to God with confidence and boldness to actually come to him the way he says it. Do you, I mean, do you realize how you would worship? I'm saying, you know, you come into the presence of God, whether on a Sunday morning or in your, at your home, and instead of, you know, yeah, God, yeah, you love me. I don't really believe this, you know. Do you realize how grateful you would be if you realized just how much he'd paid for, right? Do you, say, I mean, revolutionize. Do you realize how it would revolutionize our relationships with each other? Can you imagine a church where we see each other as saints instead of as sinners, right? That I see who you are in Christ and I call that forth. I mean, right? I mean, in one sense, we total acceptance of one another. On another hand, calling each other to live worthy of that and really empowering each other, not controlling, not judging, not criticizing. I mean, how do you feel when somebody criticizes you? You like that? You know, right? You feel like, oh, I just want to open up. I just want to I just want to so just open my life to this critical person, right? Do you really feel like that? How, do, how does it feel when someone judges you? How did it feel when you could never measure up? You could never do enough to please your parent. And maybe it was your perception, maybe it was your parent. I don't know. But how, how did you feel? Did you want to open up? Did you want that person to really help? No, what do you do? You close, don't you? You hide. You don't try. Well, if I'm going to fail, I'm not going to try, right? This is what people do. But can you imagine? Can you imagine? Being in a relationship with somebody that loves you perfectly, with a holy love like we've talked about, but because of the blood of Jesus, this person absolutely accepts you for who you are. You could keep blowing it and blowing it and blowing it, and you're still loved. Right? Can you imagine? What happens when, when you feel like that? Perfect love drives out fear. Instead of holding that person at a distance, instead of being defensive, instead of, I can't share my life with you, all of a sudden you open up, right? I've watched this with husbands and wives all the time because a lot of times husbands and wives judge each other. Oh, I love you, but, and then, you know, and do all this. I've watched, I've watched wives just stop the criticalness and start honoring. I've watched husbands stop judging and trying to control their wives and just start empowering them with the word. I've watched it and I've watched people finally let go and trust. Right? This is why people don't trust God. This is why people don't trust each other. This is more at the core of who you are than you realize. You don't really believe that God pl- is pleased with you and delights in you, period. 
You don't really believe that. You're like, oh, no, my problem's not with God. You know, my problem's with people. No, no. The reason why you fear people, the reason you, you don't open up to people. I've seen it all the time. People don't open up. They, they don't trust people. They don't open up. They don't connect with people. Why is that? I'm telling you, this is the core reason. If you understood that God takes pleasure in you right now. Oh, my goodness. That God's not a scary God. He's not judging you or criticizing you, but that he's filled with pleasure. Do you realize how safe you would feel with God? This is why people don't open up in God's presence. This is why God, people don't, aren't extravagant worshipers. This is not because I'm not a good enough Christian. I, don't, I just don't do that worship stuff. No! It's because we don't really know the gospel. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so what am I going to do? Preach a sermon on how you need to worship more. You know what I'm saying? You know, what, what, come on, what are you talking about? No, this is it, right? This is it. God likes you. And when you begin to realize that because of the blood of Jesus, he's so filled with pleasure, well, I'm gonna just, just, you're going to be free. You don't have to hide anymore. You can be like, oh, yeah, totally, God. I got these issues in my life, and I need you to heal me, you know? And you're going to run to him instead of running away from him. But same thing with each other. Can you imagine what it will look like with one another? You totally know that whatever you tell me, whatever you tell the, your brother or sister in the Lord who's in your home group or whatever, you know that they're going to love you and accept you. They're not going to criticize you, give you, you know, lame advice or whatever, but they're going to believe God with you. They're going to speak over you who you are in Christ. They're going to remind you who you are, and then they're going to call, call that forth, right? Can you imagine how we would open up, right? This, this is foundational, isn't it? This is foundational. Now, I want to commend... We're going to wrap up with this. I want to commend the book of Ephesians to you, right? So if you if, read this. And I want you to understand something here. I'll, I'll do it this way. See, Jesus, it says in Ephesians 5, Jesus got a bride. Right? Everything was created for Jesus, and the church is his bride. And now, the Bible says we are one with Jesus. Okay, not in some weird, you know, you know, weird thing. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, powerful spiritual metaphor of our oneness with Jesus, intimacy with Jesus. The Spirit gets a temple, right? God, God can't even be contained in the highest of heavens, right? I mean, he's infinite God, right? And yet all throughout the Old Testament, you see God wanting to live in a temple, in a tabernacle, wanting to be with his people. The Bible says that the church, us, us, and you specifically, but us corporately, is, are the temple of the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 2. So the Spirit gets a temple, and the Father gets sons and daughters, Ephesians chapter 1. Do you realize that what God wanted, God, the Father wanted sons and daughters, the Holy Spirit wanted a house to live in, and Jesus gets a bride. Now, what are the things that, like, you long for? I mean, isn't that funny how we, as created in the image of God, long for relationship, long for intimacy, long for those things? Right? Isn't that interesting? That the very things that burn in our own hearts, God put them there. And do you realize that because of the cross, he has what he wants? The father has sons and daughters. You and I. The Holy Spirit has a house to live in. Do you realize, do you realize that God, his spirit, is living inside of us? Heaven has come to earth. And Jesus has a bride. We're one with Jesus in spirit. I mean, this, this truth that I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of like opening up, I'm introducing. This truth revolutionize how you relate to God and how we relate to each other. I just want to end with this in Ephesians chapter 1 because I, I think it's, um, it makes it really clear. <clears throat> we, re we, we read this last week real quick. Uh, in verse 3, 
through 6. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Listen, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. So it it says here that God chose to save us. That God did it because he loves us, right? In love, he predetermined that we would belong to him. And notice what it says, that we'd be holy and blameless without blame in his presence and that we would be sons, right? Sons and daughters adopted as God's kids. So his will was to make us right with himself that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. No sin. And his sons, right? The Holy Spirit gets temple. Jesus gets a bride. The Father gets sons. We get an inheritance. We get promises. We get blessings. We get all this wonderful stuff, right? And it says here, that this was according to, in verse 5, according to, in line with, the good pleasure of his will. This whole time I've been talking about pleasure, it's the same word, whether in Old Testament or New Testament, it's the same word as the Father looking down at the Son Jesus. Remember in Jesus' baptism in the, in the Gospels? And the Father looks down and says, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. It's the same word. Do you see what I'm saying? The father looked down on Jesus and said, yeah, that's my son right there. And I'm pleased with him. Why was father pleased with Jesus? Because Jesus completely aligned with God's will, right? Completely obedient. Well, because of Jesus' obedience, because Jesus has obeyed the will of God, now you are the kids of God, right? You're the sons and daughters. And he says the same thing over you as he says over his son. The father loves you just like he loves Jesus. And the father says, now that you're my kids, the pleasure of my will has been fulfilled. Do you notice that it doesn't just say God willed it. It doesn't just say God chose it. I mean, that would be enough, right? He chose us. He did it because he loves us. And he willed it to be so. But do you notice what it says? To the good pleasure of his will. That means, what does that mean? The good pleasure of his will. means that when he got his will done, it brought him pleasure. Okay, really clearly, it says it right there. The pleasure of his will was you becoming his sons. The pleasure of his will was you being holy and blameless, which is all in Christ. So again, I want you to understand, I mean, Isaiah 53, Hebrews 10, Ephesians 1, everything I've been saying is, he's he's already pleased. What brings him pleasure? Is it because, oh, you obeyed more? What brings him pleasure? Because you did great things for God and led all these people to Jesus. Those are great. We'll talk about that. That's wonderful. But no, that's not what brings him pleasure. What brings him pleasure is you're his. He's already satisfied. And you can live from that place. That every day he delights in you. Every day the father enjoys you. And you don't have to strive. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's, the rea- it's knowing that truth that I'm talking about today. That will empower you to live for him. And motivate you to live for him. <clears throat> Here's what I want us to do. I want us to stand up and I want us to declare this. We need to get our eyes off ourselves. We need to get our eyes on Jesus.